0: All right, well, hello, Grace Family Church. Yeah, we give it up, yeah. My name is Hal Merrim, I'm the campus pastor at the Temple Terrace Campus. I'd like to welcome everyone, uh, all of you that are watching it online, of course, at all of our six campuses. We've got our Lutz Campus, which is here. Give it up for yourselves. We've got our Carrollwood Campus, our South Tampa Campus, our Ybor Campus, our Land Lakes Campus, our soon-to-be Clearwater Campus, which is almost fully done, and then also my home campus, the Temple Terrace Campus. Campus, And so I thought I would start off the message with just a little bit of a, a, a PSA for all the men in the room. Uh, we have an important date that is coming up, uh, not the Super Bowl, uh, Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, it's coming up. It's in like two weeks. And I'm just letting you know because there's expectations on Valentine's Day, right? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of Valentine's Day, not because of the gross consumerism, but because I think it, it told me as a, as a young boy, there was like an equation to a woman's love. And here's what I mean by that. You know what you're supposed to do on Valentine's Day, right? You're supposed to get a card that you have to write in. Can't just hand it to her and say, that's all that I need to say. You got to get her chocolate, whatever type of chocolate she likes. You need to get her flowers. And you need to also take her to a place where she can't supersize her meal. (laughs) And if you do that, you win, right? You win Valentine's Day. And so I thought going into marriage, that's basically what it was. You just kind of figured out the equation that leads to your wife's love. And if you've been married for a couple hours, you realize very quickly that doesn't happen, right? That doesn't work. But then I was introduced to something called the five love languages. If you've never heard of the five love languages, the reason they're important is what happens many times is we want to love our spouse in the same way we want to be loved. And many times that's not the way they best receive love. And so there's actually five love languages of which two you have. And they are this, they're physical touch, which is, guys, that's not what it means, what we think it means. Gifts, acts of service, words of affirmation, and quality time. And so my wife's are two. They're quality time and words of affirmation. I'm thinking this is perfect. I can, I can put this into an equation. This amount of quality time plus this many words of affirmation equals success. And at first it works because the first time it works. But then after that, I, worked, I realized very quickly that the idea of putting an amount of time on quality time doesn't work. In fact, the moment that my wife feels like I'm putting an amount of time on it because I'm getting a little ADD, she always asked me this question, do you have someplace better to be? Right, and I learned, learned very quickly, like it wasn't a certain amount of time, like the, like the, the space of a commercial or halftime. Like it needed to be unlimited. And on top of that, I couldn't just use the same words of affirmation, right? I would just always call her beautiful. Oh, baby, you look so beautiful. Oh, you're so beautiful. And then after a while she asked me, so why am I beautiful? What makes me beautiful? And apparently there's some wrong answers to that question. (laughs) Not necessarily wrong answers, but answers that shouldn't go first. And I learned very quickly that my wife did not want to be in an equation. Right? She didn't want me to be figured out in that way. What she wanted was this. She wanted me to get to know her, right? She wanted me to know her, to know about her, to sit down with her, find out her hopes, her dreams, her likes, her dislikes, the things that she was struggling with right now in her life, the things that bring her joy. And out of that, I can actually bring the correct words of affirmation for where she's at. I can affirm her in what she's going after, and I can support her in the times where she is having struggle. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because today we're going to be talking about spiritual habits. And we've been talking about spiritual habits from inviting your friends to church, to spending time in God's word, to serving, or even being in community. But the problem that happens so many times when we talk about spiritual habits is we take the spiritual habits and we try to turn them into an equation to get God to do what we want him to do. And we take the deity of God or the personhood of God and we turn him, instead of him being a being that we get to know, he becomes a machine that we try to control. He almost becomes this cosmic vending machine. And where we we look at it and we look at the things that we all want in the vending machine, whether it's a raise at work or a new car or maybe it's a spouse or whatever it is that we want. And we go, okay, God, um, I I spent time with you every day this week and I gave this much to to church and uh, I, I also served in this place. And then we hit D7 and we're like, all right, God, you give me what I want. And we think that's God. The problem is that's not the way God works at all. In fact, I want us to fully understand this before we get into this message. We don't start spiritual habits so that God will give us more of what we want. We start spiritual habits so that we get more of God, so that we get more of God. In fact, the moment we have the ability, the moment we have the ability to cause God to do what we want, He no longer is God. Right, the the moment we have the ability to make God do what we want, he's no longer God. Who's God? We are. And that's what we tend to want many times. And we forget that God is a a being that wants to be known. We forget that he is a being that wants to to have a relationship with us. And what we do is we take that relationship and we turn it into what is all about works, religion. And God goes, no, 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 I want a relationship with you. And so today, that's what exactly we're gonna do. We're talking talk about three spiritual habits that help us develop a relationship with God, that help us get to know our God and get closer to our God. And the three habits that we're talking about today, I'll just be honest, are the three habits I'm focusing on this year. One that I really haven't focused on a lot, one that I've tried to get going and I struggle with sometimes, and one that's actually become a regular part of my spiritual life. And the way I came to talking about these three is found in Luke ten twenty seven. Jesus was asked this, he goes, what is the greatest commandment? And he said this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And so I looked at the four things there, love God with your heart, your soul, your strength and your mind. And I go, "What spiritual, what spiritual habits can I form in my life so that I'm loving God more at the end of this year than I was at the beginning. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna start with our mind, all right? How do we keep our focus on God and in the right place? It starts with one very simple word. That word is gratitude, gratitude. Gratitude puts our focus on God and here's why. Because gratitude is a natural response to an accurate perspective of what God has done for me. It's a natural response when I truly understand what God has done for me. And so when we struggle with gratitude, many times it's because we don't fully understand what God's done, or we don't realize it, or we're not thinking about it. It's something, I'll, I'll be honest, it's not that I don't have gratitude, I struggle with it sometimes. For example, Thanksgiving dinner. First reason why, it's at three for some reason, why? Why, why, why is it like at two or three? Did, is that when the pilgrims had Thanksgiving dinner? I'd love to have an answer on that. And the reason I don't look like that is because when Thanksgiving dinner's at three, I don't get to have lunch. Like you can't eat lunch We're having Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm like, but I'm hungry. Like there's chips. So I have a choice. So I fill up on chips or do I wait till Thanksgiving dinner? I end up waiting till Thanksgiving dinner and we sit down at the table and this doesn't always happen, but this happens every couple of years. We sit down at the table and somebody who absolutely means well asks this question. They go, hey, let's go around the table and let's, let's just say, what are we thankful for? And this is at my in-law's house, and I am the only pastor there, and they hear this response out of me. (sighs) Why? Not because I'm not grateful. It's because I know this, when we go around the circle, many people will be fast, they'll talk about something they're grateful for. But sooner or later, we're gonna get to somebody who has a lot to be grateful for. And they're gonna talk a lot about it. And then they're gonna start crying. And then everybody else is gonna start crying. And I'm just gonna be sitting there because when I'm hungry, I don't have the emotional capacity to feel. I'd love to say that's the only time where I lack being grateful, but it's not true. There's other times. And I want you to understand, there's a difference between thankfulness and gratefulness. Thankfulness is what I feel when my wife buys me a Christmas present with our money. (laughs) It's something I could have done on my own. Gratitude is this, and hear me on this. Gratitude is a byproduct of something that we can't produce ourselves. It's a byproduct of something we can't produce ourselves and this is monument this is monumental in the Christian faith is understanding that what God did for us what Jesus did for us we couldn't do for ourselves because when we realize we couldn't do it for ourselves it causes us to trust God for what's next because he was able to take care of what has happened. The problem is, is when we lose the attitude of gratitude, we take our focus off what he has done for us, we tend to focus on what? What he hasn't done for us. And when we focus on what he hasn't done for us, what goes out the window? Trust. Because how am I supposed to trust God for what I need if all I'm focused on is what he hasn't done for me? How am I supposed to trust God for the next miracle if all I'm focused on is the ones that he hasn't done? See, one of the biggest reasons we need to be grateful is because God has done something for us that nobody else could do. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, it says it in a very short way. It says, but thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death, the two things we can't deal with on our own, sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we forget that, we forget what he's done, the fact that he was the only one that could do it, there becomes a gap between us and God that gap is normally pride. And what does pride say to us? Pride says, you're the only one that can do this. So instead of trusting God in our life, we just trust ourselves. Need you to hear me in this, trust is the foundation of a growing faith with God. In Ephesians three, this is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. He explains this. He says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. It says your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep God's love is. How do we understand how big God's love is? It starts with trusting him in the things that we know. It says, may you experience the love of Christ though it is too great to fully understand. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. See, when we're grateful for God, for what he's given us, we trust trust him in what's next. And every time we trust him, he shows us more of himself. It grows that way. So here's the question you gotta ask yourself. Is, Is gratitude something I need to be practicing and be focused on in this next year? And here's a question to ask. Is my attitude causing me to become better or bitter? Because if your attitude is causing you to become bitter, you're focused on everything God hasn't done for you. If your attitude is making you better, you're focused on all the things he's already done. So how do we incorporate gratitude in our lives? We, we plan it, we plan it. I've started in my journal time, I have a separate section just for gratitude that I'm focusing on. On top of that, I've set an alarm during the day when it goes off, I purposely say to God what I'm grateful for. You're like, how, but this is supposed to be spiritual. This is supposed to naturally happen. Yeah, it happens naturally when it becomes a habit. And for it to become a habit, I'm purposefully planning it out. Why? Because I wanna make sure that my focus is on the right thing. I wanna make sure that my mind is focused on the right thing. And here's what's crazy about gratitude. Not only does it keep us focused on God, but there's been several studies that have shown this. Not only does it make you more positive, this is crazy. It actually says people who have high gratitude have stronger immune systems and lower blood pressure. They even sleep better. Which when you think about it makes sense because it's people with high levels of gratitude that realize there's somebody bigger than you that loves you, cares for you, sacrifices for you, and is going to take the burdens that only he can bear off your shoulders. See, when we focus on gratitude, it gives us the trust to do the things that God has called us to do. See, and trust is a big deal because the next spiritual habit we're talking about requires a large amount of trust. And here's the spiritual habit, taking a Sabbath, taking a Sabbath. And here's how I wanted to define the Sabbath. Trusting God with one day, knowing he will multiply the others. Some of you are sitting there, you're like, but how? Sabbath is about resting. And when we first see Sabbath come on to to the scene, we actually see God. In the beginning, he, he created the heavens and the earth. He created everything in the first six days. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He rested. Did he need to rest? No. What was he doing? He was letting us know this is important. Not only that, I think we forget sometimes that the Sabbath is actually one of the original Ten Commandments. In Exodus 28, it says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. But for some reason, I think it's the one commandment we're okay breaking. Like when we talk about, hey, you shouldn't murder. We're like, yeah, that, definitely, we shouldn't do that. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Yeah, we shouldn't do that. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Absolutely, shouldn't do that. You, should, you shouldn't even you know, use God's name in vain. We shouldn't do those things. But when it comes to, hey, uh, you should take a day off, we're like, ah. Eh. I think one of the main reasons why is because all the other sins there, you see the reverberations immediately, whereas not taking a Sabbath is like a ticking time bomb that we don't see till it's too late. And most of the time when it goes off, we don't realize our original problem was we never rested like God asked us to. See, I don't think the problem with the Sabbath is this, is that everybody in this room goes, you know what, I don't need rest. I think all of us would say, we need rest. The problem is this, you say this, I don't think I can rest, or I can't rest. Do you know what not taking a day off a week does to you? You're twice as likely to have depression. You're actually, your your risk of coronary heart issues goes up by 80%. And on top of that, it affects your soul which gives you the ability to follow after God. I'll just be honest with you, my Sabbath is on Fridays. And my most likely time not to take a Sabbath is when I'm teaching from this stage. Because on Friday, I'm just thinking about everything I'm going to be saying on Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, it, it gets me frustrated. and I want to focus on that. The problem is when I get home on Sunday after four messages is actually, actually the time where I'm the most tired. They've actually done studies and they say, if you give a 30 minute presentation or a message, it's the same on your body as an eight hour work day. So imagine doing that four times and then coming home, your wife loves you. She's like, you're angry. So we don't hang out with anybody except our next door neighbors who already think I'm angry. So it's good. But here's what I've also noticed. When I am tired, I'm far more susceptible to temptation. I think we would all agree to that because they say when we're tired, we're much more likely to say this. We're much more likely to say, I think I deserve that. So when I refuse to take a Sabbath, I'm putting a tax on my soul and putting myself in a situation that's incredibly tough. In fact, I would say this, many of you have been in situations where you've had incredible spiritual highs, but then after that, you've done some things you didn't want to do and you're going, why did I just do that? God just did an amazing work. It's because you're tired. And look, if we want to do what God has called us to do, to have the strength to do it, have the ability to do it, we must Rest, because we can't deal with the burdens of life without it. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus explains this. He says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your what? Your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Guys, God wants to make sure that you rest, but it's a trust issue. Oh, you don't understand everything's gonna fall apart. You don't understand if I don't do go constantly, then things aren't gonna go the right way. Here's, here's the way that I see the Sabbath. In the same way I see a tithe. See, as a tithe, we give 10% to God, knowing that he will bless the 90%. As a Sabbath, we give one day to God, knowing that he will bless the other six. So here's my question for you. Do I trust God enough to rest? Do I trust God enough to rest? And hear me on this, just in the same way when we talk about giving, we go, hey, if you can't give 10%, start at 1%, start at whatever you can. In the same way, this is the way I feel about the Sabbath. If you've been going seven days a week, the idea of taking a day off is scary, find three hours. Find four hours, find an afternoon, whatever it may be, and be purposeful in it, and have the goal of growing that to where it needs to be. Because I know for some of you, you're in different areas of life and you have little kids that will not leave you alone. I understand that. You're like, this is impossible. Look, we, we need to be incredibly purposeful in it. And what is a Sabbath? It's not just a time of laziness. It's time with people, it's solitude, it's eating. Guys, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is eat and take a nap. No applause for that? Look, it, this all goes together. See, when we, when we focus our mind through gratitude, we have the ability to trust God in areas that we're afraid to trust him in. We take the time to rest our body and rest our soul so that we can do what he's called us to do. The last area that I wanna talk about is our heart. How do we make sure our heart is going where God wants us to go? One of the spiritual disciplines that I love to talk about is fasting. And you can write this down. Fasting is aligning our hearts with hearts and plans with God's. It's aligning our heart and our plans with God's plan. I'm not saying this is the only way. Look, God speaks in many different ways, but this is the way that you see throughout the Bible that anytime somebody was going to do something big or there was a big moment or there was a big decision, they fasted. Before Jesus started his ministry, he fasted for 40 days in the desert. You see people do this over and over again. They're like, if I'm going to make a big decision, I want to make sure that my next step is God's next step. So I want to focus on two stories here. The first one is the story of the early church. The early church had started, it had been growing, but they hadn't sent out missionaries yet. They hadn't started yet. And so they gathered together in Acts 13, it says this. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manan, and Saul, which became Paul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them to do. Then after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. What happens in this moment? They fasted, God said, send these two men. They fasted some more, they said, this is where to go. Why is this so big? Why is this so big? Because over the next 250 years, because of these first steps, an entire empire that was incredibly pagan became Christian. And over the next hundreds of years, Christianity spread across the entire world because of the first directions of the early church. Do you believe if you truly sought after God, he would give you a a direction that could change the course of your family? Do you believe if you truly sought after God that he could give you a direction that would change the course of your neighborhood or your work or even your city? Look, fasting is not the only way, but we see it time and time again, God using it. The, the, the second story that I wanna talk about is from the Old Testament. It's with King Jehoshaphat of the Judean Empire. He says this, it says, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Menuhites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazazazan, maybe, Tamar. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. I need you to understand this. There's armies way bigger than what they had. They were coming in a way that there was no retreat. There was no retreat. So what did Jehoshaphat do? He goes, I'm gonna get everybody together and we're going to fast. And when they were fasting, God spoke and said this, I'm gonna take care of it. You guys just have to walk outside. So they walk outside. And the three armies that were formed, God caused them to go against each other and they took out each other. And on top of that, it says it took them three days to pick up all the spoils of war. Why was that possible? Because they listened to God. Hear me in this, one of the biggest problems we have with not listening to God and not knowing his direction is we tend to fight battles we were never meant to fight. We tend to fight battles that God said, I was gonna take care of that. I was gonna go ahead of you. I think so many times we get enamored with the story of David and Goliath, not realizing that God works in different ways. Yes, sometimes we're going against Goliath and sometimes God is going against Goliath. And he's the one that is going ahead of us. Look, here's what I know. God has a plan and it's almost never what we expect it to be. The only time that that God defeated a giant with a small boy throwing a slingshot was David and Goliath. Every other time he did something different. See, fasting helps us align us with what God's doing. For me, fasting has been an incredibly part, important part of my spiritual journey. I mean, even as I grew up as a, as a, in a Christian household and we would do like very short fast, like just meal fast when I was a kid. And as I got older, we, we were part of this 36 hour fast with World Vision to raise money for those who didn't have any food. But even after that, as I got ready to marry my wife, I actually spent 40 days juice fasting, which I don't recommend unless you wanna be absolutely addicted to sugar. But about six years ago is when fasting truly changed my life. About six years ago, in all honesty with you, I had just moved down to the South Tampa campus. I was the youth pastor at the time. I was the associate campus pastor. I was also starting up a ministry called The Exchange, which was our young adult ministry. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't sure if Grace Family Church was where I needed to be, not because Grace Family Church isn't a great church is because Grace Family Church had a whole bunch of people and I wasn't sure I was needed. I knew God had given me a gift to speak, but I didn't feel like I had the place to use it. And so that year, and every year, we basically do a 21-day fast before Easter. And that year, I, I basically asked God two questions. I asked him, God, is Grace Family Church where I should be? And should we start fostering? And for 21 days, all I did was drink water and coffee. For some of you are like, wait, coffee's not supposed to be a part of it. I was asked to keep on coffee, caffeine, because <laughs> if you removed both, it would have been like me fasting my marriage. Um, and so I fasted for 21 days and I asked God those questions. At the end of the fast, very simple answers. Yes, you need to stay at Grace Family Church. Yes, you should start fostering. Then the next year, at the same time, every year, 21 days before Easter, the church does a fast and my wife joined me in the fast and we prayed, God, is this where I need to be? Cause nothing had changed. And God once again said yes. And the next year we did it again and God said yes. And then the next year we did it again and God said yes. And then after the fourth year, we started to see things change. I get to speak up here and it's an honor to be able to do that on a regular basis. I'm now the campus pastor, at the Temple Terrace campus, God never showed me any of that. I I didn't know what he was doing. In fact, many times it was very frustrating. But what he did tell me was this, you're in the right direction. Here's the question for you. Do I want to be aligned with God's plan or my own? I think it's a question we all have got to ask. Do I truly want to be aligned with God's plan or my own? And one of the ways we align with God's plan is through fasting. And if you don't know what fasting is, fasting is most of the time, it's giving up something that you crave. And in that time, what you would do is when you give up something you crave, every time you crave it, or every time you think about it, you'd spend that time in prayer. And When it comes to food, every time you think about food, you would spend that time in prayer, or every time that you would be eating, you'd spend that time in prayer. And so it's a very focusing time, You're spending a lot of time focusing on him. Now, it doesn't always have to be food. And let me just say this, if you've had issues with uh, food problems in the past, maybe you struggled with eating disorders, it could be something else. It just needs to be something that you absolutely crave. I was talking to Pastor Mike Ash the other day, and he said this, he goes, I look at my life and I look at what could be coming, what could be becoming an idol in my life, and that's what I fast from. So it could be entertainment, it could be TV, it could be social media, it could be your phone, whatever it may be, you take your time off from that. And you can start slowly, right? It can be just fasting a meal or fasting from sunup to sundown, but you can start fasting and spending that time asking God, am I going in the right direction? And when it comes to a food fast, I, I, I am somebody that wants to know what's going on with me when I feel not great. And so when I'm fasting, I wanted to make sure my body wasn't breaking down. So I read two books on it. I did a ton of research on it and I found out this, that fasting actually helps you control your blood sugar it lowers inflammation and improves your brain health. It actually can even be a cancer preventative. On top of that, it has two cell processes that come through there called autophagy, which actually removes all the garbage from your cells. And there's apoptosis, which causes the damage and broken cells to be removed from your body and replaced by new cells, which actually increases your immune function. And here's the reason I say that. You're sitting there going, why is why how keep talking about the physical benefits, the mental benefits and all that? Because every time I really look into who God is, I'm always kind of amazed by him. And wouldn't it just be like God to create us in such a way that when we are most spiritually healthy, we are most emotionally healthy, mentally healthy, and physically healthy? And now I'm not saying that we don't go to doctors or anything like that. That is an awful thing. I'm not saying if you feel depressed, you, you, you shouldn't seek help in that. But I believe one of the biggest things that's missing in, in the church and in the world is when we develop these spiritual habits, God puts us in a place so that we aren't just healthy with him, we are healthier. See, I don't know what your next step is. I know this, that all of us have an easy next step. And you can just ask the clarifying question, is my attitude causing me to become better or bitter? If it's becoming bitter, then I need to focus on gratitude. Do I trust God enough to rest? If I'm not resting, I need to focus on taking a Sabbath. Or do I wanna really know what God's plans are or do I just wanna follow my own? Maybe you need to start fasting in this time. Whatever it is, you need to take that next step because here's the goal at the end of 2022. I wanna be closer to God and know him more than I did today. So today, well, that's exactly what I'm gonna start you off with. We're gonna take a moment and we're gonna do one of the habits, We're gonna do the habit of gratitude. And the way that we're gonna do that is through worship. As you see, the band is coming up. They're gonna come up and sing, and we're gonna sing the song, Thank You Jesus for the blood. And here's what I'd like us to do across all campuses. I like for every single one in the room and in all the other places to think about what it is that you're truly grateful for. Maybe it is something that he's forgiven you of that you finally realize he would forgive you for. Maybe it's the fact that you realize the amount of sacrifice he's done and how he will continue to do it. Or maybe it's remembering the miracles that had already happened and the miracles he's gonna continue to do. Let's do this right now across all campuses. If we would stand and as we worship, we would show the attitude of gratitude.